We are starting a new series today. It's good to be back. If you remember, before I left, we did Galatians chapters 1 through 3 and looked at that. And so now we're back. We're going to do Galatians chapters 4, 5, and 6 in this series called Free Spirit. And just to really quickly recap kind of what the main uh, gist of gist of the first series was, the first three, it was looking at faith versus obedience when it comes to salvation. And the fact that we so often kind of switch over from being saved by faith, even though we know that salvation is uh, by grace through faith, not a result of works, even though we know that, we kind of switch over to that and start thinking that our faith, our ongoing faith, is a result of our works. So if I ask you, so how are you doing spiritually, you'll tend to think in terms of, what did I do? Did I do the right things? Did I do the wrong things? How well am I performing? And if you, you, know, if you did a really good job, you're like, oh, I'm doing great spiritually. And if you've really been messing up, you're like, oh, I'm doing really bad spiritually. And we see our, we see our strength and our connection with God based on our ability to do and we talked about even our salvation sometimes, our confidence rests in our work rather than God. So, you know, maybe you pray to prayer as part of your salvation. But then you began to doubt. You were like, wow, am I really saved? Did I, and so, did I mean it? Did I pray it right enough, well enough? Did I pray it with enough conviction? And you began to doubt. And the reason you doubted you were saved is because you doubted you had done it right or done enough and you didn't have confidence in your own effort. And that's good. You shouldn't have confidence in your own effort because you are not saved by your effort. You're saved by God's work, his completed work on the cross. And so often we kind of mentally shift over and our confidence is in our work, not God's. And so that's what the whole series was really about and what the first three chapters kept coming back to is were you saved by being good or by God's work on the cross. And what are you trusting in? So now, Paul in the second half is going to take those ideas and kind of just start now logically concluding them, taking them out and saying, so what does that mean? So let's look at Galatians 4 that Don read for us. And he starts by making a really interesting observation that's, that's quite astute. Now I say, as long as an, the heir is a child, he does not differ at all from a slave although he is the owner of everything. So he starts with this idea of slave versus son, which is kind of the construction for today, the illustration. And he says, you know, childhood really isn't much different from being a slave. You know, and all the kids went, amen. You know? And the idea is, is that when you're a kid, now think about like a lot of our context here in the Northeast, uh, many of, some of us maybe, not, not so much now, you grew up on the farm. You know, you know Turner grew up on the farm. And if you had a farm, you tended to want to have a lot of kids. Why? Because you needed the help. And so you have a lot of kids. Now, I, I remember I didn't grow up on a farm, but I grew up going to farms and, and, and playing on farms and stuff like that. And we had a working farm just up the road from us. And whether you're a hired hand or one of the kids, your day doesn't really look any different. All right? You're going to, you got a lot of hard work to do either way. And that's his point. He says, in childhood, really, whether you're a slave or a kid, your life is basically the same. And he says there's not much different, but he's under guardians and managers until the date set by the father. And so then he says, well, that's true of us spiritually. Now, the problem is we need to make sure we hear what Paul means because we go, oh, yeah, so when we're young spiritually, we're like slaves. That's not what he means. He's not talking about your spiritual journey. 
When he talks about us and our being young, he's talking about as a human race growing up under God. Okay? So when he talks about us being children spiritually, he's talking about the human race before Jesus. He's talking about when the human race first began to try to walk with God. So we're starting at Adam and Eve and beginning with human history. He's not starting with when you became a Christian. We try to read ourselves into these stories, and he's not talking to you. He's talking to us as a people. He says, so we were children held in bondage under the elemental things of the world. We were like kids. But, verse 4, but when the fullness of time came... God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. The fullness of time, that's a phrase that's a very good translation, but doesn't mean much to us, the fullness of time. The better translation for us to understand is when the time was ripe. That's what it means, when the time was ripe, when the time was perfect. At the perfect time, (coughs) excuse me, at the perfect time, God sends Jesus, and then it makes two statements about Jesus. He was born of a woman, and born under the law. And that's really important. He mentions that for a very specific reason. First, he was born of a woman means he was actually a human being. Right? He wasn't some spiritual manifestation that just looked human. He was born, he had a body that was built in a, in a womb, and he was a human being, born of a woman. And it says he was born under the law, which means that the, the same rules that apply to you and me applied to him. He was accountable. So he was human and accountable, the same as we were. He was the same as us. Why? So that, verse 5, so that he might redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. So he came and he was born to be like us, both human and accountable, so that he could free us from that law and instead of being merely human, could bring us into a relationship with God as kids, be adopted. And we understand the word adopted. It's where you get made into, you become part of the family. And so he comes to make us part of the family and to get us out from under the law because he came in underneath it, to redeem and adopt, to save us and adopt. Verse 6, because, so now here's the result, because you are sons, and we can add in daughters, Because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. A few things here. God sent. Notice what it says. God sent his spirit forth into us. Again, his work, not yours. One of the other things that we tend to, we we, we have all these little cultural nuggets that have become part of our, our church experience that are not biblical. One of the things we say is, we're going to ask Jesus into our hearts. A phrase that occurs nowhere in Scripture. Because, what's the idea? I'm asking Jesus, Jesus, please come. We have a lot of worship songs. Jesus, please come. Jesus, please come. Jesus, please come. And yet here, what it is, is God sent. God sent. You don't ask for Jesus. He was sent to you. Because God is the one trying to get... God doesn't say, well, if you ask nicely. God says, please take... I'm trying. Hello, let me in. It's not like, oh, Jesus, please come. Well, if you ask nicely, maybe I will. He's like, no, I'm eager. I'm trying to come to you. Because it's what? Not based on your work, but his. And then it says, 
crying, Abba, Father. Okay, quick show of hands. How many of you, when I read that verse, you already knew it. You knew Abba, Father. You have uttered the words Abba, Father before. You've, you've quoted this verse in one way or the other. I know more than one of you. Come on. Yeah, you know this phrase, right? We, if you've been, now, some of you didn't grow up in it, and so that's okay. But a lot of you, if you've grown up in it, you've heard this verse. You could quote it, at least mildly, Abba, Father. This drives me crazy. Because one of the things that sometimes happens in the translations, the English translations that started with old King James and the crew he had translating, there's a couple of places, a few times, and this is one of them, where they came to a part of the Bible, and when they went to translate it, it made them feel weird. They got uncomfortable with what it said. And they went, oh, that's weird. What are we going to do? And you know what they decided to do? Not translate it. They just said, let's just not translate that word. They did it with the word seraphim. How many of you have heard the word seraphim? Seraphim and cherubim. Seraphim is just a Greek word that they didn't translate because it made them uncomfortable. And so all the other translations then follow in King James' footstep. So Abba is not your language. Abba does not translate to you. We go, Abba, Father. Now, if you go home at night and you FaceTime or see your father and you go, Abba, then it's good for you. You're probably Aramaic. I haven't met a lot of you around here. Aramaic's not a big thing in our culture. The word's daddy. But that made them uncomfortable. Because they're like, well, God, you don't call God daddy. So let's not translate that. It translates daddy. And they just didn't translate it because it made them feel uncomfortable. It made the Jews uncomfortable too because that was Yahweh and God is God and you don't treat him so intimately. And yet that's Paul's point. He says, we've been adopted. And so this is intimate, not formal. You call him daddy. It's not a Good morning, Father. It's Abba, Daddy. And so they didn't translate it because Daddy made them feel weird. But it's Daddy. That's what it means. Don't read Abba. Read Daddy. Because it says, God has sent His Son, the Spirit of His Son, into our hearts, crying, Daddy, Father. It's saying that God has now established, He's, he's established a different way for us to relate to Him. Whoa. And so then verse 7, therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. You are now an heir. Now, how does an heir get something from his father? He inherits it. What do you have to do? Be. You don't earn an inheritance. You get it. What do you earn? A paycheck. You earn a salary. You might even earn a reward. An inheritance you just get because of who you are. And he said, and now you are not a slave. You're a son. It belongs to you. Your inheritance is by nature, not by service. But a lot of us, we still think that the blessings of God come because of what we do. How, why is God going to bless me? Because I was particularly good today. And because I was good, God's going to bless me. And then I was bad and my car broke down. 
because God is punishing me because I was bad and my relationship with God is based on my ability to earn good things from him. No, your inheritance is based on your nature as his child, not your service to him. That's what he's saying. That's what he's saying. And then, then he says, and here's what we do. Verse 8, however, at that time when you did not know God, you were slaves to those who, which by nature were not gods. He says, you know, before you understood God and his work for you, you were a slave to things that aren't gods, that told you what to do, that tried to control you. But now you have come to know God. And then notice what he does. He goes, oh, but wait, 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 wait. Let me clarify, he says. You've come to know God. Rather, be known by God. Because even there, he says, you know, really, it's not what you've done, it's what he's done. So even here, he stops himself. He says, you have come to be known, you have come to know God. Actually, you've come to be known. Because this is what God did more than what you did. He's come to know you. He's come to you. You've come to be known. And then he says, how is it, verse 9, second part, how is it that you turn back again to the weak and worthless elemental things to which you desire to be enslaved all over again? What are these weak and worthless elemental things? Well, he already talked about them in verse 3. While we were children, we were held in bondage under elemental things of the world. What are these elemental things? He's talking about the law. He's talking about the rules of good and bad. The rules of right and wrong. And he goes, and these, these controlled you. This is how you be good. This is how you be bad. This is what you have to do to be good. He goes, and when you were a child, those came in handy. But they enslaved you. He goes, and now why are you going back to these, what does it call? He calls them weak and worthless. That's a, that's a stunning word, weak and worthless. And he says, and you desire to be slaved. And he, picture, and he says what they are in verse 10. He says, you observe days and months and seasons and years. He's referring to the Jewish ritualistic calendar of sacrifices and festivals, of all the things you had to observe, all the things you had to do throughout the year to what? Be, un, be right with God. He goes, and you, you, you keep going back to those rules and once again act like you're a kid that needed to be told what to do. He says, how is it that you go back to that? And then, man, the last thing he says here in this passage, verse 11, have I wasted my time? That's what he asks. I fear for you that perhaps I have labored over you in vain, meaning that everything I did was a waste of time. What a stunning thing for Paul to say. Have I wasted my time with you? That you would go back to these weak and worthless things? This idea that you have to be good in order to be right with God? That in order for you and God to be okay, you've got to follow the rules? As opposed to trusting what he's done? 
So let's talk about this for a minute. And I, I teased that we're going to do something different today. Here it is. I would tell, teach you to give me three weeks off. Because <laughs> I always call this discussion, and then we don't discuss. I just talk. So we're going to talk. First service did great. No pressure. This is interactive. If you're on the stream, I can't hear you, so you're out of luck. First question, do we desire to be enslaved? How and why? Why do we seek out, and I'm, we're talking spiritually here, we tend to seek out religious situations where we are told what to do and told how we have to be and told how to be good. How do we do that and why? Thoughts? Yeah, it, feel, it feels good to do the right thing. What else? What, why, why do we seek this? Right. It's a fallen world, but it's easy to say, well, let's, and we're going to set ourselves apart by being good. Absolutely. What else? What else? What, why, do we, why do we seek this so much? What drives us into this? <sighs> sense of control. A sense of control. Just tell me what to do. Joey. Oh, there's real comfort in, oh, and we all do it together, safety in numbers. Oh, wow, that feels good. I think as we're young, we're, we're set up in that mode of pleasing gets reward. <sighs> Working gets reward. So even in our spiritual life, even though the Bible says, rest on him, count on him, not you, we still want to be able to have that power of seeing him with our own work. Mm. Power, reassurance, comfort. Yeah, it, it feels good. We don't feel worthy, so we, uh, doing something can give us a sense of worth. Now I feel better because, well, and, and the minute you get that, that attaboy, you're like, ooh, right? Yeah, it gives us a, a nice basis of comparison. Right? Because we look at them and look at me. Trying to do the right thing and tell me what the right thing is. Tell me what the right thing is. Well, else is doing? I'll do it. I'll do it. Mm. And there can be a comfort in, the, it can feel like power, and sometimes it can be a comfort of not having to have the power, right? Similar to this, it's fulfilling an expectation that gives you joy. Mm, fulfilling, oh, I love filling expectations. Just tell me what to do and I'll do it. Check! Yay! I used to, I, I do to-do lists. I'm a to-do list person. Bad at doing them, great at making them. <laughs> so when I make a to-do list, especially like, I'm going to try to get a lot done today, usually when I get to making the list, I've already done at least something, I would put... I will, I have, and I will put at least two things on the list I've already done so I can check them off. <laughs> Yay, because it feels good, right? 
And yet spiritually, so then one of the other, somebody made an observation first service, one of the other things is sometimes trying to figure out the, what to do is exhausting and we don't want to do that work. There's a comfort in just having someone tell us. Just tell me. I don't want to have to, because life gets complicated, right? And the world is messy. And if somebody just says, don't do that, do that. Oh, what a relief. Now I just know. I just, I don't have to think about it. I don't have to make that decision. All right, awesome discussion. Why do we follow leaders that help enslave? This is why, because sometimes we want to be locked down. There is a comfort in just, just tell me. Now, as a leader, myself, I have a certain leadership style. I never wanted to be a pastor, a senior pastor, and I never wanted to be a, a director, and God has made me both. God and I still haven't really settled this. I love being the assistant director and the associate pastor. Why? Because when big decisions come, you bump them upstairs. I used to, when Jim Pettis was the director and I was the assistant director, I had a song that I routinely sang to him that Cody has now sung to me. I would walk over to his trailer and knock on the door and go, I'm glad I don't have your job. And God, with a tremendous sense of irony, gave me his job. And now Cody sings it, and I go, yeah, you be careful there, dude, because stuff happens. Why? Because it's sometimes no fun to be in charge. And if I'm not in charge of myself because I have an authority that says, here's what you need to do, oh, that takes a lot of pressure off. And so sometimes we will seek after leaders that will help enslave us spiritually because they teach us to observe. And they tell me when to show up, what to do, and then say, good job. And I go, great, amen, I can go home and do my thing. And all the hard work's been done for me. And a lot of times we look for pastors and spiritual leaders to do that for us. And so there are people who hate working for me. Because they'll be like, so, all right, so I'll say, here's your job. What should I do? Figure it out. Uh, Tell me what to do, how you want me to do it, when you want it done. Uh, I don't know, sometime soon, something that looks like this. I hate it. They hate it. I had a, years ago, I had this girl come to work for me, and I knew what kind of person she was. Awesome lady, loved Jesus, mature believer, awesome person. And I told her, I said, now, when you come to work for me at camp, I said, I just want to get this out of the way. You're going to hate working for me. Oh, no, it'll be great. I'm like, no, you're going to hate this. You're going to do a great job, but you're going to hate it because you're going to want me to, because to, she was a goer, and she wanted to be told what to do, when to do it, how to do it, and she was going to ace that. And I went, well, your job is sort of this, to sort of do this the best way you can when you do it. She did a great job and hated me. At the end of the summer, she goes, can we meet? I said, sure. She sat down. She goes, I really appreciate it. It was a great opportunity this summer. I really appreciate it. I just want to give you a few tips on that will help you. And she proceeded to lay out how I should lead, which is, you need to do this, this, this. I said, you are describing what I told you would happen. Oh, that's what you meant. Yeah, there we go. Because just give me, just give me the thing to fulfill. And I'm like, I'm not really a ruler. Never been comfortable in that mode. But there's a, there's a comfort in that. So the question we have to ask ourselves, and that you need to ask today, and we're not going to discuss this one, is does your relationship with God look like a child slash slave or an heir? Because being enslaved feels simpler. Because then I just tell me what to do. As we're coming out of COVID slowly and surely, hopefully, 
there's a lot of fellow pastors that are struggling right now because one of the things that's happened is we've gotten out of the habit of this. It's easy not to show up on Sunday morning. We just got out of the habit. It used to be that, well, you just go to church Sunday morning. We go to church, we go to church, we go to church. Why do you go to church? Because it's Sunday. I saw a pastor online this week, and he goes, well, Sunday, you can't do anything else on Sunday because Sunday is the Lord's day. And we need to tell people to go to church because it's Sunday and it's the Lord's day. And I'm like, well, the problem is the Bible doesn't say that Sunday's the Lord's day. The Bible just doesn't say that. Well, the Bible says go to church. The Bible doesn't say that either. It says do not forsake the fellowshipping of yourselves together, one with another, as is the habit of some. Well, what does that mean? It means stay in touch with each other, be part of each other's lives. Does that mean sit in the same room for an hour and a half and listen to one guy and then go home? I don't think so. But I can sit there and say, I want you here, because I do. So you need to go to church. God said so. And if you don't, I'm not sure you're a very good Christian. And maybe I get a few more of you in here, but mostly because you feel guilty and because I told you to. Not because we're part of a relationship. Because, see, that's, that's the hard thing because we don't tend to... It becomes our relationship with God ceases to be Abba Father and becomes Hey Boss. And that's what he's talking about here. Or here's the question. Here's the for the next four weeks, this is where we're going to live in this formulation. Is who I am based on what I do, or is what I do based on who I am? And the next four weeks, four more weeks, as we go through the book of Galatians, this is the question of the series. Do I feel that by doing things I get? So if I'm good, God will bless me. If I'm good, God will draw near to me. If I'm good, I'm closer to God. Or do I do good because God has done it? Do I feel more like his child because I'm good? Or am I good because I have been declared his child? Do you see yourself as a Christian because of what you do? Or do you live the life God has called us to because he loved you? Because he already declared you righteous? Is your life an attempt to get towards God or because God has already come to you? And a lot of us, we struggle with that because we want to feel worthy. We want to feel like we are doing it ourselves. And so we'll even gravitate towards people who will give us those nice strict rules to follow because it makes us feel more successful spiritually. All the, all the answers you gave, tremendous. And yet Paul said, why are you going that way? That's, that's child stuff. And you've been raised to know the love of the Father. He is not your boss, he's your daddy. And so let's end where we started with the idea of the farmer. Because as the child grows up, he starts and he's just got to go out and do chores. Why? Because dad said to. And he just has to obey. There's not much difference between him and the hired hand. But at the end of the day, when the hired hand has finished his work, what does the hired hand get? He gets paid. And that hired hand can work at that farm for 50 years. And every week he'll get his paycheck. And at the end of the day, it's still not his farm. No matter how faithful his service, it's not his farm. But the son 
Now the son does in the, puts in the same amount of work as the hired hand, and he doesn't get paid. Why? Well, because he's a son. But at the end of the day, whose farm is it? It's his. And by the time he's an adult, why is he working there now? Because it's his farm. Because he cares about the farm. He's not getting paid. It's his. Why do I serve as a pastor? Because God will pay me? I already own the kingdom. I care about the kingdom because I'm an heir. And I need to constantly guard my own heart to make sure that my service is not to gain. It's because I have gained. Because I follow Jesus because he has come to me. And I'm his son. Are you an heir? The last way I... Are you trying to earn favor with God? Or live out the favor he has given you? I love that Joy picked out that song, My Only Hope is Jesus. Everything I have is from him. Yet not I, but through Christ in me. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you for your work of salvation. We tend to really switch over to our work by default. We begin to live as children or bond servants where we think we have to earn our keep. We don't think like children who you've already put the food on the table, you've put the food in the fridge, the bed is there, and now you have asked us, because it is our inheritance, you've asked us to live in it. But you have freely given us all things. And now our lives are dictated by who we are, joint heirs. And Lord, I pray that we will take that confidence and rather than look to be enslaved by being told what to do, we'll be inspired to live for you. And Lord, as we spend the next four weeks figuring this out, working through what it means to live as heirs, Lord, that you'll challenge our hearts and that we'll take this good news out to a world that's busy trying to be better than everyone else, that's trying to show that they're the right ones, that they're more right than other people, that they're the ones, they're the group that belongs, they're the group that's got it right, that we will say, no, we are not the group that got it right. We are the forgiven. Because of your work, your shed blood on the cross, that you came and died for our sins. In the fullness of time, you came to be one of us and have adopted us if we will merely receive and accept your work. And our confidence rests in you. Our hope rests in you. And Lord, if there's anyone here who's been busy trying to get you to like them, hoping that their good works would somehow earn your favor, Lord, I pray that today they would talk to you and accept your gift of favor and put away the weak and worthless things of trying to earn something that they cannot earn to receive the gift of your death, burial, and resurrection on our behalf and receive the adoption as children. We call you Daddy. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.